0: Good afternoon. Today uh, we are joined by Evan Nielsen with Nielsen Law Group. Uh, My name is Clint Goodman and I'm an HOA attorney. Uh, Evan, you want to give us a little background on yourself? Yeah.
1: My name is Evan Nielsen. I'm a a tax attorney. Nielsen Law Group is our firm. Myself and Levi Hatch uh, are the owners of the firm. We handle a lot of uh, Business-related matters, but uh, have a significant amount of our practice that's dedicated to tax, tax preparation, tax issues, and uh, tax strategy. Uh, we've been doing tax for a long time, and and enjoy it. I, I guess you could say we're geeks and proud of it.
0: <laughs> so you've read frontwards, backwards, backwards, <laughs> forwards the tax code.
1: <laughs> Yes.
0: Is it going to get any less uh, thick this year, or is it going to even get thicker this year? What do you think? I
1: think it'll get different. Uh, I think there is a very good chance that the tax code will change. And um, in, in some ways, it will probably get simpler. The business tax code is going to probably get fewer tax brackets. The personal tax code, same thing. The Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, the tax ramifications there will probably change but I'm not sure that that's all going to happen by this summer. I think it's more likely that it'll probably happen the latter part of the year, the beginning of next year.
0: So you don't think it's going to impact 2016 taxes? Uh,
1: I definitely won't impact 2016. I'm not sure that it'll impact 2017. I think that we're probably looking at an impact in 2018.
0: Wow. Less regulation then, or more? That's What's your guess?
1: Uh, I, I think less regulation, but... more along the lines of uh, the tax law itself is going to change a little bit and the regulations surrounding it will change more. Hmm. And much of that may in the end happen through the same way we've seen it, executive order. So that we'll see less negative impact of the tax code in terms of how it's applied. But the tax code itself may not change a whole lot.
0: Interesting stuff. Well, I... I appreciate the fact that you're willing to come down here today and mm-hmm. spend some time today to talk to us and my audience, my, both my clients and prospective clients, and as well as any you know, office condominium or residential community out there that has questions about tax implications in a nonprofit corporation, or, you know, as an office condominium, obviously that's yeah. a different story. But, um, so let's start from the beginning, um. Which tax number one do, does an HOA, a nonprofit corporation, have to file taxes?
1: They do. Uh, every um, association that we typically think of as a homeowners or a condominium or a commercial condominium association, everybody, including timeshare groupings of real estate, is considered a corporation and needs to file a tax return. There are some special provisions that uh, they can elect to apply, but when they, in the end, if they haven't done any of those things, then they have to file a corporate tax return to Form 1120 each year.
0: So the 1120 is uh, in relation, and I'm trying to dummy this down for folks out there that may not know what an 1120 is. Can you give us a better understanding of what an 1120 is? Yeah.
1: It's basically a form that asks for your, your profit and loss statement, your income and expenses, so what you get from association or membership fees, um, assessments, et cetera, and any other source of income minus your allowable expenses leaves a net profit, and that goes on page one of that, that series of forms. Then you've got to put your balance sheet, which has your assets and liabilities that uh, belong to the association as well. Those would go on another page. Then you answer a bunch of questions, and that combined is Form Eleven Twenty.
0: Got it. Uh, what are the corporate tax rates right now?
1: That uh, the first, the lowest is fifty thousand dollars. So up to fifty thousand dollars in net profit is fifteen percent. Then you add another twenty five, and that twenty five thousand is taxed at twenty five percent. Then you get to the next one, 35, 38, so on. So the the more money you make, the the higher the tax rates are, but they go from 15 up to uh, just, a, a, just under 40.
0: So for, you know, in Arizona, I'd say 99% of all homeowners associations, office condominiums, et cetera, are uh, nonprofit corporations. So uh, I assume there's some special treatment for those types of corporations. Um, So let's say there's a master plan community that has their members paying their assessments. And at the end of the year, you know, they have a a book of, uh, let's say, a total of $10 million worth of assessments that were paid. It's a pretty high tax bracket if you're a normal corporation. Right. Assuming there wasn't anything to offset it. Yeah. Um, So, and assuming it was like 100% profit. But um, what, what can a nonprofit corporation do at that point in time?
1: Well, if, it's, if we're just talking nonprofit corporations, for tax purposes, nothing. Okay, and, and the distinction here is that when you file your corporate papers, you set up your entity as a not-for-profit organization. But that doesn't have anything to do with the taxation. Once you've said, here's the kind of entity that we are, Then you need to say to the IRS, okay, we are a a 501c3, 501c, whatever, uh, 498. There are several provisions in the tax code that say, okay, we're not going to charge you tax. And so charitable organizations or charitable foundations that have a public charitable purpose, they're exempt from taxation once they're granted that status. But they have to file a request to get that designation. But a homeowners association can simply make an election. And so long as they qualify, they can make an election to be treated differently than regular corporations. And if they're granted that status, then they can say, look, we took in all of this money, $10 million in your example. We had $2 million of expense. That $8 million is left over. But we've made this particular election for this tax year, and none of that will be taxed.
0: So let's say if the $8 million, um they put that in reserves for their reserves account, saving it for a rainy day. The election, is that the 528 election you're yeah, referring to?
1: Section 528 of the tax code, or the 528 election is what we usually call it.
0: And so that would basically mean all of that $8,000 is essentially tax-exempt for that year.
1: Yeah, and every year thereafter. So the eight $8 million in reserves plus the interest on the $8 million— all of it is exempt from any taxation.
0: Well, there's there's a few things that HOAs do that um, could cause taxable events, from what I'm aware of. Um, there are some folks out there that say that an association that is uh, engaging in rental properties, let's say they get a, a piece of property through a foreclosure sale and nobody shows up at the foreclosure sale as part of their foreclosure. So and they end up to, with it. Yeah. yeah, so they end up with it. Um, there's this this i think it's almost a gray area that's why i'm going to you give us an explanation if you would about how that works is that taxable income do they have to pay taxes on the rental income from the people that are renting the the home if they decide to rent the property uh, give us your take on that okay
1: so i'm going to give you two answers all right the the technical answer that the section 528 itself specifically says that there are three sources of income that are exempt from any kind of taxation. And those have to be, all of them, paid to the association by owners of property that are part of the association. So if it's a rental property that the association owns and the rent is paid by a non-owner, then by default, the statute itself defines that as taxable income. Okay. Now, The, there have been a number of, of cases that revolved around this and uh, some uh, private letter rulings, and all of those are the kind where you can't point to them as precedent that the tax court would have to follow, but they define kind of the thinking behind what's what's going on in the, the statute as it's applied and interpreted in, in a court setting. And all of those are def- essentially defining the intent of the association. So let's say that the association, and I'll change our example for a a second and come back to it. Let's say the association decides we're going to buy 35 acres, turn it into a golf course, and then we're going to charge green fees to non-association, non-homeowners to come and golf here. And that starts to generate a substantial amount of their profit. If they engage in an activity like a golf course here, where more than 40% of the income of the association is coming from non-dues, non-association-related things, then that changes their ability to exempt the income. And in the case that you're talking about, the HOA was just trying to collect on the bill. They foreclose. Nobody shows up. And so they end up with the property instead of the money that they were owed for the association dues. Well, okay, so they're paying rent or collecting rent on that property, but they're probably not intending to hang on to that property indefinitely. They'd rather sell it. Well, so they were owed, let's say, $15,000 of association dues and and, uh, penalties and uh, whatever else added up to that number. They're collecting rent, which is going against that bill, or they liquidate the property, which is accomplishing the same thing. And so in that context, you can easily argue, and successfully so in some of these cases I'm mentioning, where the rent that you're collecting is not rental income. It's just money that's being collected to offset already Build but not yet collected association dues or other monies that the association is owed.
0: That makes sense, especially when they're using that money for the nonprofit purpose of exactly. common area maintenance or whatever it might be. Yeah, because that's what they'd be using the money for if it had been paid by the prior owner, anyways.
1: Yeah, and you see how that's very different from let's go buy a golf course and we get to use it as members of the association, but let's also make a lot of money sure. doing it. That's, that's sure. a going into profit activities.
0: Yeah, I've, I've got several listeners that have that scenario where they do have a golf course that's open to the public. Yeah. And they do pay taxes on those, those monies that are made. Uh, you mentioned 40% cap. Um, can you get into that a little bit more? Yeah. What, what do you mean by
1: that? There, in order to, to qualify for this 528 election, the the first requirement is that you have to be deemed an association and and the statute defines three requirements there you have to have formed yourself as an association so the legal type of entity is the one you were describing a not-for-profit made up of the owners of property in that area that's defining the association second requirement is that the income that the association realizes 60% of it or more has to be from association-related activities, so dues, uh, penalties, fines, fees, et cetera, the things that are associated with that operating entity maintaining the property or gathering reserves to improve it or things along those lines. And then the third requirement is that 90% of the expenses Whatever they are, so it doesn't have to be 90% of the money collected. Just 90% of whatever is actually spent has to be for the same purpose. It has to be maintaining, improving, acquiring, etc. the things that the association would use.
0: So as long as 90% of it is used for the nonprofit corporation purpose, technically then 10% can be used for something different is yeah. what you're saying. Right. Interesting. So um, let's say one of the examples that may come to mind, for me at least, would be um, they want to have a social gathering at, at their park, maybe put up a um, a screen and watch a movie on a Saturday in the park, and they charge an entrance fee for folks. They take that money, um, and they also spend – the money they're spending for that park gathering would be um, – do you think that would be a nonprofit corp, uh, purpose if they're doing it and opening it to the public, or if would it would it fall under the ninety percent?
1: Well, um, keep in mind the ninety percent is the expenses side; the sixty percent is the income side. But mm. all those are just to define: are you qualified to make this election or not? Then, uh, if you are qualified, then the technical answer is the same one I gave before: anything that's paid by a non-owner. To the association is a taxable revenue, but that's the technical answer okay the the piece of the puzzle that that I, I think it's always worthwhile to look at is what was the intent behind it because that's where we see the court making the determination. So this event you're describing let's say that the association wants to develop a sense of community and doesn't want to exclude people from outside the association, but the primary purpose is to give everyone in the community a chance to get together, to provide some social activity that is oriented towards the members of the community. And so they charge a fee for non-residents who also come, but that's not the primary purpose. So long as the primary purpose doesn't violate the intention of an association and the things that it should be doing, then you can always argue that those are not – those are those are de minimis funds that are ancillary to the primary purpose. And as long as it doesn't go over 40% of the total revenue, then you can claim that those are part of the
0: association's operation. Interesting. Um, you mentioned – well, we talked offline uh, a little while ago about um, potentials for audits. Um, tell us – what the potential for a potential, uh, an audit would be in a nonprofit residential community?
1: Uh, the, the standard uh, percentage for a corporation, and this would fall into the corporation umbrella is one in 300. Uh, so uh, it's about a third of a percent. But nonprofit organizations, especially coming out of 2006, seven eight, that whole business of um, targeting nonprofits we have seen the audit rate for associations in particular go way down. And so I wouldn't be surprised if it stays there for the next several years. Now, on top of that, and you're getting a little bit of uh, what's going on at the IRS, the IRS's budget has been cut every year since 2010. So they're operating right now on about 16%, 15% 16 15% less money than they had in 2010 and so they have had to reduce in a number of areas there's a hiring freeze that's been at the IRS long before the executive order came out there's been uh, an adjustment in terms of pensions in a number of other areas from a financial standpoint and what you're seeing at the IRS is two things the the really seasoned knowledgeable experts in tax law, they're not there anymore. And there isn't anyone coming in to replace them, and there isn't anyone to help train them. And so there's a dearth of knowledge at the same time that there are less people to do more work. And so just by virtue of those things changing, the number of audits in every area are down. And then on top of that, the political rollout of what happened in the, the late 2006, 7, 8 era with nonprofits has dramatically reduced the number of audits there. So even if somebody should be audited, the chances of it happening for an HOA right now is is much lower than one in 300. I'd put it at one in 1,000, one in 2,000. It's
0: So definitely not a high-risk category. No. Where's the high-risk category right now? Do you, do you have any idea?
1: An individual who has a Schedule C or a Schedule E has a 1 in 12 chance of an audit.
0: Interesting. So if you're listening, try not to have a Schedule C (laughs) or a Schedule E. Try to figure out a way to to avoid that, right? Yeah. Well, and and I mean, that's not our topic, but there are easy ways of of avoiding that too. Right. Come see you to find out, right? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Give us some of the... uh, potential problem areas for an association. Anything that you can think of where they really need to look out for potential pitfalls or traps? You know, the most
1: common, the the two most common are not filing any taxes at all. You have to file a tax return because that's almost an automatic. And uh, the penalties are very difficult to get waived if you don't. And they'll be 5% of whatever should have been paid up to a max of 25% every year. So it can be pretty painful to pay those penalties. So file, and then file on time. If you're not able to file by the deadline, which usually is March 15th, then file an extension. It gives you to September, but file on time and file. And then take a look at what makes the most sense when you file. Do you make the election this year or not? And Maybe I can skirt down that rabbit hole for a second. Sure, please. This election we're talking about under Section 528, it doesn't always make sense. So file your tax return, prepared one of two ways, and then look at them. Just be a corporation or just be 528 Election Corporation, which is Form 1120H okay, for Homeowners Association. But what you'll see is one of them is going to have a smaller number. And whichever one has the smaller number, then that's the one that you go with. And if it means you need to file the 1120H, then you make the election. The following year, your circumstances may differ. And so it may make more sense to file just as a regular corporation. And a homeowners association can change that every single year. And in fact, they can go backwards and make adjustments
0: there as well. So if uh, a corporation, uh, specifically since we're on the HOA topic, and HOA finds out that they could have saved more money, they can always file an amendment, how far back can they go?
1: You can go back three years to get money back. So same the same statute of limitations, same rule that applies for any other kind of tax return. But if you owed money, you can go back as far as you want. So let's say a, an association... Filed as a corporation and owed $20,000 in 2002. They just realized, oh, crap. Could have done it different. Well, they can go back and file an amended return for that year that would show, let's say, that they owed nothing, which we see a reasonable amount of the time. Well, that eliminates the tax they owed it also eliminates any penalties that they would have owed and any late filing penalties as well because those are all a function of how much was owed. So you can go back as far as you want, basically, and refile a tax return, an amended return, that would eliminate any amounts owed. The one thing to keep in mind when you do that is that starts the clock over again. The IRS has three years to audit a return. Just like you have three years to go back and ask for your money. And so when you amend a return, that resets the clock. So that 2002 return, the IRS couldn't have audited it. If it's amended now, they've got three years to revisit that situation. So it only
0: really makes sense if you would conclude that money is owed. That's really only when you wanted to. Well, unless you're
1: still having to pay.
0: Right? Yeah, yeah. To avoid the potential. fall out from that. Um, I recently had a community, hence the reason why I asked you to come in, uh, I had a community um, self-managed and the board was pretty dysfunctional for years and years and years. This is an older community formed in 1984 or 5 and uh, they had never filed a tax return. Ever. (laughs) So, thank goodness for the statute of limitations I guess.
1: (laughs) Well, no. But, but yeah. what would you – so, so tell me is, is – The, the statute of this... limitations doesn't start until a return is filed. And so all of those years that haven't been filed, the clock hasn't even started yet.
0: That's a great point. Yeah. So your advice to them would be file. file. <laughs> <laughs> Since 1986, yeah. file, or at least as much record as, <clears throat> as best you can. Yeah. What, do you, what do you do with a community that it doesn't have – a lot of records. I mean, these some of these self-managed communities, even some of the professionally managed communities, you know, they switch from management company to management company throughout the yeah. years. What do you do when the records aren't there for you? How do you, how do you file?
1: What whatever information the association has, that's all the IRS is going to be able to use as well. So you you do the very best you can. And 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 it's not uncommon for an association to file a return that shows zero taxes owed. And so when that's the case, the thing that happens is you start the clock. So you get the return in. If the IRS wants to scratch and sniff, they can. But all they're going to have is the same information the association had to work with. Now, if there are forms that were reported to the IRS, then you can get a copy of those. We can get everything that the IRS has on any taxpayer with the taxpayer's permission. So usually we get what's called the, the, the transcript that was reported to the IRS and then compare that with what the association has provided us with. And then that way we can make sure that we're reporting whatever we have, but we also can verify that it's not going to be inconsistent with what the IRS already knows. And so in that way, we can make sure that the return gets reported at least accurately from the information that's available. So the taxpayer can get the same information by the way,
0: yeah, I guess one of my concerns would have been over the years they used different banks um, a president that is either either deceased at the, in nineteen ninety two they used wells Fargo uh, or who knows who they used. You just don't know what bank they banked with for decades yeah uh <laughs> that's a problem, and since they didn't have the any of the documents you need to prepare a tax return, would you just say zero? Yeah, but I probably or wouldn't guess? go back
1: to 96. <clears throat> in it, in this particular case, you know, we'd, we'd go back to, let's say, four or five years and and get something on the books for those years because prior to that, the likelihood of the IRS being able to do anything about it is remote. And When the IRS, technically the statute of limitations, this time clock we're talking about that cuts off their ability to to bug you about something, that that starts as soon as the return is filed. But from a practical standpoint, they don't have the resources to go back after the 1996 return for a nonprofit association who probably didn't owe taxes anyway. Sure, And so from Good a point. policy standpoint, they're probably not going to do that. And if they do, I'm pretty sure that we can outfox them in terms of showing that there isn't any tax owed. So there's no gold at the end of this rainbow. Yeah, great point. And, and the reason that matters is because examiners, IRS examiners, they are paid on commission. So
0: oh, I didn't know that.
1: They want to find something because that's how they make their bank. And so it doesn't make sense for them to pursue something that isn't likely going to pay off.
0: Hence the reason why the chance of an association getting audited is so, so low. Yeah. Got it. And probably the reason why an individual filing a Schedule C is so high because that's where all the money is, I would assume.
1: Well, and the sweet (laughs) spot. Is uh, uh, this will make us all sad? The sweet spot for an audit is someone who's making somewhere between forty and a hundred thousand dollars, has a Schedule C, or a Schedule E, because from the IRS's perspective, that's easy money. They don't have enough resources to fight, but they probably have enough resources to pay, and so
0: mm. so it's a churn and burn mentality. Yeah, high volume, lower amounts. Yeah.
1: And those are also usually a group that are easy to intimidate, and so it—that's the way the system, the IRS examination system, is set up.
0: And how many audits have you been through? Uh, if you can guess, I know you've been through quite a few because you've been doing this forever. But easily a couple of hundred, couple of hundred, uh, pretty nasty audits. And out of those couple of hundred, over the last what twenty years, yeah. Uh, Out of those couple hundred, how many of them involved an HOA? Two. Two. (laughs) So there you have it. Yeah. Right. Proof is in the pudding. Any other words of wisdom you can give a homeowner's association, whether it be a pitfall or a word of advice? I I would
1: encourage uh, any association to somehow make sure that they have records, you know, uh, 30 years ago when we were having to push paper on a pencil to keep track of things, it was a little more onerous. But nowadays, get yourself a simple accounting system, link it to your bank accounts so that the transactions are automatically showing up in the ledgers. And just having a record like that makes all the difference in the world. So so invest in that. Whether or not you have somebody doing the books is is really not it doesn't matter that much connect your bank to quickbooks or whatever you're using and and you'll be surprised how quickly that results in the information that you need
0: yeah it's great advice for our self-managed communities you know most of the professional management companies that we work with oh, yeah are are leaps and bounds above that so that's good good to know anything else that you can think of Just fire Nothing taxes. T- yeah. It's, it's almost, it's, it's a uh, March. What now? March 1st, March 2nd. Today is March 1st. March 1st. Yeah. So 14 more days. Yeah. Until D-Day.
1: Or file an extension.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, well, Hey, thank you so much for coming down. Oh, really appreciate uh, you joining us today. And, uh, I learned a lot, and I'm sure my client base, as well as the rest of the folks that are listening, learned something, too. Well, we're glad to, we're glad so to if, share what we know. If somebody needs to get a hold of you, how do they get a hold of you? The
1: uh, best way uh, is phone or email. Uh, our phone number is 480-888-7111 or email info at nlglaw.com. Perfect. Easy enough. Yeah. Thanks again, Evan. All right. Take care.